to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. Glad you joined us today. Thank you guys so much for the ones that were able to come out yesterday for the Easter egg hunt. Um, and so um, we uh, pray that we'll continue to see um, opportunities like that um, to serve the community, to see um, some different ways that we can partner with the community. And just immediately afterwards, hearing different people and hearing some different ideas that um, what if we next year we combined with that kind of a, a a health fair along with that, or maybe even later in the fall, not waiting till next Easter, but having a time where we could do maybe a, a health fair along with an event like that to where um, truly it's not just giving them candy, but uh, also um, able to serve some of the needs that are right there in the community that might not be available to everyone. And so um, uh, those type of things just come up from getting together and serving. So lots of opportunity. Um, um, I don't know about your family, but um, growing up, um, so since we didn't go to church, um, Easter wasn't uh, a big deal. I remember being a kid thinking through, um, like, man, I wonder why we don't go to church because Easter is kind of that big deal. And like, you know, and um, some families they do the the Easter thing. You know, you go on Christmas and you go on Easter. Um, and as we um, were in ministry, then as the boys were little, uh, Easter was a pretty big deal um, for Jamie at least. And so uh, just the boys, like, I mean, it was a big deal about getting matching clothes for all the boys. Um, and then, uh, you know, something nice. And then also that we would do the lentil lights that uh, I kind of shared with some of you guys where you do the, the week long of, of blowing the candles out every night. And then Easter morning, you come back and you um, end up uh, celebrating that you wake them up with, it's great, Resurrection Day. And so, um, of course, there was new clothes laid out that they usually didn't like, but then there was baskets, Easter baskets and um, candy. And so they just, they, it was a celebration, you know. And so um, we would, would progress through that. And as the boys got older, um, they, would, they would get to the point where that's not such a big deal. So this morning, I'm sitting there in the chair, and I'm reading and praying, going through some notes. And then here comes Jamie walking in with the Easter baskets. And so I was just thinking through, like, are, are we still doing this? They're getting older. You know, I was like, are you going to do this one, like, 20 and 25, you know? And so she's like, of course. And so uh, um, there's a temptation, you know, not only for parents— uh, to make more of you know these events than of actually the substance of that event, and for churches um, like Brad mentioned, um, well, I've been a part and been around churches where they literally start working on Easter on January like second. They start preparing and planning. There's churches that literally will say, "Hey, you, your team of." 15 people, you go and, and sit in several services and get with that that big church's cantata, their, their plan, and then you steal that and kind of bring it back and make a huge deal here. And I remember uh, at one church, we would talk about different things, and Matt Fowler, who's out at New Beginnings now, and I think Brad was probably in on some of those also, um, there had been a tendency to like, let's blow up Easter, this huge, huge day, and it was just this incredible, you know, big, huge performance, and then if you come back the next Sunday, it was like a completely different church. And so, uh, and then, so they, they, we kind of talked about that as a leadership. If we're doing that, 
Uh, I mean, resurrection is huge, but we don't want to like blow up people's expectation where it's just almost sometimes an entertainment or a performance. And so um, you may have went to churches like that where Easter was. It was just the, you know, they had everything for that. And so there's a temptation there um, to kind of feel the pressure to bring out something new because really, I mean, everyone's like, man, we kind of know the story. You know, the, the stones rolled away. He's alive. And so that that's typically some thinking. And so we've got to kind of change the story or make it bigger or, or bring out some really unique fact about something all the way down to, you know, I've, I've heard places where they will you know, bring out the, the, the type of stone that that was made out of and like going into these different things. And so just like, what, what is that really? Is it, are we saying that Jesus resurrecting from the grave is not enough and all that's tied to the resurrection? Because you can't separate the, re- separate the resurrection from what he just went through, right? And so, um, so many things. So we're going to try to keep the main point, um, just the substance of Christ walking through that grave and what that looks like for us. Now, what are the implications on that? If you think through, this goes back you know, several thousand years. If you go back to um, just even in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the fall, where God said this right immediately after the fall. They don't go pursuing God. God comes pursuing them. And then he brings the curse on man and woman, but also on Satan. But he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring, meaning all of mankind. He shall bruise, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was a prediction of the cross and the resurrection. So Satan, he's going to ultimately crush you. You're going to strike his heel, and it seems like a fatal wound, but it's going to end up just a temporary wound where he's going to rise back up. So all the way back in Genesis 3, it's the first time that we get announced the, the good news. There's bad news of sin and bad news of the damage sin wants to do to us, but God, that's the first time that that euangelion, the good news, comes out where he says, you're not going to ultimately have victory. He's going to rise again. And so what a beautiful picture all the way back, you know, four, five, six thousand years, you know, whatever your, whatever your um, um, scale is on that, whatever you believe about uh, the, the age of the earth. Um, beautiful picture and, and God's faithfulness in all of that. Through every story, we see his redemptive plan. And so we're just going to kind of walk through the supernatural realities of what happened because of the resurrection, not, not getting past that. We never want to graduate that. So here's what we're going to look at today. Um, the first thing is um, two kind of just resurrection points that the entire New Testament record, all the books of the New Testament, um, the four Gospels mean nothing if this guy said, I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to resurrect three days later. So the four Gospels are out because Jesus was confused. But the rest of the books of the, of the New Testament all rest upon. So the book of Acts um, and all the New Testament epistles rest upon the fact that Jesus rose and then commissioned his church. So the church age began there. So all of that, all the stories that you and I, not, not only the biblical record that you and I heard, but probably the stories that you heard growing up, it, it's all worthless if the resurrection is not true. Some, some, huge, some huge guys, I, I can't remember if it's Martin Luther or... Um, Calvin, uh, um, some, some huge name guys, they were saying the resurrection is the biggest point of the gospel piece. 
that the resurrection, and you can see why, that if, if, if Jesus is still in the grave or didn't raise again, then, then we're all in a bad place. So all of those stories that we've grown up hearing, um, all of that rests on the resurrection of Christ. Your faith rests on the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to look at that. And then secondly, if, if Christ resurrected, that means he is alive, he ascended to heaven, and he's reigning in power and authority. And we want to look at what are the implications of that. And then so the result of that, since Jesus did resurrect and ascend, he is coming back for his bride. And so a lot of times we even when we talk about the gospel, and we want people to be sold on the gospel that um, you know, man, God, God had a plan. God had a perfect, holy plan. And then man sinned. And then to redeem us, he, he sent Christ on the cross. And then Jesus resurrected, and he's redeeming, restoring. That fourth piece, that total consummation, that's because of the resurrection and that he is coming again. And so sometimes we leave out that piece, um, that he is coming again. When I, when I was going to church some in the 80s, that was the focal point. Like every, you know, I've told you guys, like every um, Sunday was, you know, every time it was a youth conference, it was like, today, some of your vans are going, you're going to be driving home and you're going to have a blowout in your car, you're going to flip. Are you ready to face Jesus right now? So every single Sunday, you're like, man, every time somebody, every Sunday, someone's van's flipping after church. This is a miserable place. And so as a result of the resurrection, Jesus is coming again. Are you prepared for that? And then the second result, if you put all those things together, he's going to receive eternal worship. So we're going to look at a little bit at that also. We're going to start out in Matthew um, chapter um, 5, and so, I'm sorry, Matthew 28. And so let me read um, from Matthew 28. Um, this is the resurrection. So the, the important thing to think through was uh, we know that most people, uh, most great leaders, most people, you'd think through, what were their last departing words? And so not, not many, you know, we don't have Lazarus' last departing words. Uh, we have Jesus. There's not a whole list of 10 or 20 or 50 great leaders who died and then came back to life and then said, hey, here's my last departing words. So you would want some emphasis on that, right? And so Matthew 28 is exactly what's going on with that. And so in, in Matthew 28, this is after Jesus had died. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, so they considered that Saturday, um, the, after the Sabbath Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day, that Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. I'm seeing where I stop here. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power that you have, the authority that you have, not only to come up with a beautiful redemptive plan that, that man's sin and that Satan and his demons could not thwart, but instead your redemptive plan has worked. Your redemptive plan in Christ has been effective and sufficient. That not only the, Christ, the, the death that Christ died, but, but the life that he was raised to has power in that. We thank you for your power and authority. We thank you for the reality that we can have hope in that and rest in that. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this. Um, first of all, just this idea that the entire New Testament record including the stories that we've heard and we've grown up with, they all rest upon the resurrection of Christ. So um, 
Uh, and what's interesting about the story is notice this was not uh, expected in early days, and this was not accepted in early days. Uh, remember, a woman's point of view or a woman's words were not even accepted in courts. So in God's plan, I hope you as women see, there's lots of male leadership all over, but, but look at the, the love that God has. In his story, here come two women and their word of testimony. So you're not a second-rate person. Women are not second class. Um, God has a, some authority uh, about the way that a family is and about the way the church is, but w- that doesn't mean women are second class. And so notice here, um, these two women who would have no power or authority in the church, and, and God said, Mary... They're the ones who get there. They're the ones who say that. In the other Gospels, it even says that the, you know, John's version of the Gospel, if you go and read in John, you know, he keeps on hinting back to Peter that he beat Peter to the tomb. He kind of like got there and looked in. And then the guy who got there second place, did I mention it was second place? Peter, that guy, when he got there after I was already there. So the second place guy, he's like laying it on. I don't know if like he wrote that and like sent it to Peter and like, hey, want proofread this for me. And so he just lays it on real thick. And you know what they do? Peter and, and uh, Peter and John two closest friends of Jesus, they just go back home. It's empty. Well, what does Mary do? She stays a few more minutes, and guess who shows up? Jesus. So in John's account, Jesus shows back up, and she breaks down. She doesn't realize it's him. She thinks it's the gardener, and she breaks down weeping, worshiping him at his feet. Uh, John and Peter just went back home. And so um, beautiful picture there. Um, and then notice the storyline. What do the women have to support their story? I talked to two angels. So, I mean, really, like, you're just like, uh, well, are they still there? Can, can we talk? Can you bring those guys around? And so notice God's plan. It just doesn't seem to fit our type of thinking. It's supernatural, and it takes faith to believe that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, there, there's this idea that, um, that if the resurrection is not accurate, there is no forgiveness. There is no wrath that was, was absorbed. Um, and then also um, that hope is gone. So let's, let's look in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. So Paul's already early on, 30, 40 years after this, he's already got a package in his mind of what the gospel is. Okay? Um, the, the gospel that I preach to you in which you now stand, meaning this is what is securing your faith. And notice that it's not your subjective experience only of that. It's the facts of this gospel reality. So in Paul's mind, early on in the church, he was saying, we've got a foundational bedrock here. We've got a foundational, foundational thing called the gospel And here's what it includes. He says, this is what you're standing on, by which you are being saved. That's what saved you. Not your subjective experience of it. Not even your reception of it, but actually the work that Jesus did. That's what's saving you. Not your part in that, what Jesus did. And so um, you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So notice in Paul's mind, early on, Corinthian church, messy church, we've learned about them. Here's what you better be resting your faith on, um, which I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So notice for Paul, central to the gospel is this idea of Jesus 
raising from the dead. He includes in um, his idea of the gospel the resurrection. So, so don't think that it's you know, just like a, a byproduct. And so um, these truths have, that we've heard repeatedly, it's easy to take these for granted. Um, um, these are crazy, supernatural facts. These truths form the foundation of the Christian message and Christian orthodoxy. So one of the things that they began to do in those first few years, um, they, they had to testify that. And so some of the things in, in Colossians, and um, there's a section in Ephesians that they said early on, that was a memorized section. Uh, remember the Jews were famous, the Israelites were famous for mes- uh, memorizing sections of the Old Testament, of the Torah. And so this become kind of a... Um, um, uh, attestation to what they said, this is truth that we would hold to. And sometimes they say that some of those early churches would gather together and they would recite these things almost like a song um, say, stating about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and that he is coming again. So things that we kind of just go, yeah, we know the story. Um, think through our own life. Um, you haven't been at work or, you know, gathered together with someone and you're like, hey, What'd you do yesterday? Oh, we ran to you know Bed Bath and Beyond, and uh, went by Walmart, and then oh hey, remember that funeral we were at last week? <laughs> that guy was alive. We saw him back alive in Walmart. Isn't that crazy? And then we went to Sonic. Like you don't have that day where you just you, people are talking about it and you're like remember the funeral we went to? He's back alive, and so that's that's nuts. But that was what they had to do. So if you didn't see him personally, think through not how good you were. And having faith, think through how gracious God was where he flipped the switch to where you went, I believe this. I heard about or I saw what happened to Jesus. I didn't see him after he resurrected, but I believe that's true. That's a gift from God. That's a beautiful, beautiful gift of faith that he's given you. Um, So um, when we we see what Paul makes the emphasis on here, um, it's not God loves us. So think through that. So what is the gospel? Is it God loves us? It's not just um, the idea God is love or we should love others. Well, other religions, other false deities claim the same thing. What's different about ours is we have a, a God who died in our place, sacrificed his life, and then resurrected. And so we have that hope. It's different than all other religions. Um, remember, the resurrection was God's proof that was Jesus coming out of the grave was saying the wrath of God that was waiting above everyone's head, that sacrifice was sufficient. It absorbed the wrath of God. So, so if you struggle with condemnation, you struggle with when you sin and go through these struggles of uh, feeling separated from God and all those things, that, that type of condemnation, the resurrection screams at you that God's wrath is no longer resting upon you. Now, God may discipline you if you just keep going to pattern sin and pattern sin and pattern sin and pattern sin. He, he may cut some fingers off, right? He, he may let, allow some things to happen, but, but his wrath, his full wrath was absorbed. And the resurrection screams, I accept that as the pleasing sacrifice. So that talks about this idea of um, uh, propitiation. We'll see that in a second. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, he says, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection? So you guys know the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees believe that there is no resurrection of the dead. So can you imagine 
half of the people saying, no, th- this can't be true. Even in your religious community, half of the people saying, no, this isn't it. So we've had experiences even just the last two years with um, all the things that have hit our, our, our world. Have you seen some opinions? Have you seen the different groupings of people that there's, you know, there's not five, there's 30, you know, different stances on everything. And in that, um, how do you know what's true? That's so frustrating for all of us, right? And so you got some people going like, well, we believe that the Jesus guy died and all that stuff happened to him. And some of you are saying it was for sins, but there's no way he resurrected. And they were inside the religious group. So again, look at the beautiful gift of faith that God's given to some of those people. Um, And so he says, um, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is completely a waste of time. It's it's, it's in vain. And your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God did raise Christ. Whom he, if he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised, so for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So for some of you, you may be fine right now. You may be going through different things. There may be some things that happen in your life that bring you to a low spot that you never saw coming. It can be certain things that happen with your family. It can be things that happen directly to you, maybe parts of your family. It may be illness or sickness, and it may take you all the way to the place, to a deep part that you never saw coming, to where you're wondering and questioning your faith. So security of the believer. So this is a huge point if you've ever struggled with security of believer, that, that you're not under God's wrath anymore, that, that, that the, the weight of God's wrath has been removed and placed on Christ, and he sufficiently absorbed that. And so you are not still in your sins, and the resurrection screams that and proves that. So if you've struggled with that, there may be times that things hit your life and you begin to struggle with that. Go back to the reality of the resurrection. When you feel one thing and your thoughts are doing one thing, put those on the table and say, now God, I'm putting those on the table. Here's how I feel. Here's how I think. I'm sliding those off the table. I'm going to truth now. The resurrection says that I'm no longer my sins. I'm a child of God. So do that. Put your faith in him in doing that. Um, You may hit a a season of life where that happens. Uh, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, he said. And if if in Christ we hope only in this life, we're the most of of any people to be pitied. And so that's true. Um, And so in Matthew, back in Matthew 28, um, they had this little story going along. Not only the Sadducees Sadducees saying that that Christ didn't resurrect, that that God wouldn't raise someone from the dead. Then you have some of the Jews, the religious leaders. So not only half of the people saying, we don't believe in a resurrection to, to new life. You have the religious leaders stepping in and saying, well, you know what? The Jews, some of the, uh, some of his followers stole his body. And so you guys probably have read and seen even shows about that. And so that's Matthew 28, says uh, verse 11. While they were going back, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests, so guards talking to the chief priests, who are the religious leaders, all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders, again, more intense religious leaders, and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people this that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Man, to this day, money changes the gospel message. 
to this day. Money comes in and modifies the gospel message to get them to change the message of truth about Christ. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So right over here on 71st Street, we've got the, the, the Jewish synagogue and the, the Jewish school and stuff. And so it's one of the areas I've kind of looked at. I wonder if they would allow us to, to meet there. So if they had an auditorium or something, that would be weird being in a place where like you guys are worshiping Jesus on Sunday and we say Jesus was the wrong guy. We're still waiting on the right one. And man, it's looking bad over there. And so still to this day, that, that's still the story. They're the ones to this day who believe that. And so just, just know that Judaism, if you're following Judaism, you're going by the Old Testament law, and you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, then those things go together. And so that, that's the beauty of Jesus. Like, no, he was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. And so you can know that he did raise from the grave. Um, if, then the, the next thing we're going to look at here is this, this idea that if Jesus rose from the dead... Not only is your forgiveness secure, God's wrath was absorbed in Jesus and, and, and all of the wrath that was waiting above every person was completely satisfied in Christ's um, atonement. So in, in 1 John it says, 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So remember that word, propitiation, is an, is an appeasing sacrifice. I'm really angry to, to a holy, righteous anger of wrath upon you, but something comes and takes over, and now I'm back in love with you. That this gift is given, this sacrifice is given, to where now I go, it's all forgiven, and I'm back in this pursuing relationship with you. So through his propitiation for our sins. Um, that, that's God's wrath for the, 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 the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Um, so you go, man, how does this and the resurrection, this idea of propitiation and the resurrection fit? Anyone struggle with penance? In our group, sometimes we'll struggle. We went through prodigal God. People that tend to be um, older brother types might struggle a lot more with when they do sin, they feel so far and separated from God because I broke all these rules, or I even broke the little rules. And I've, I've known and known and known not to break the rule. And so um, if you struggle with penance, it's this idea, um, do you ever have a, a day or a week where you're maybe you just choose horrific sin, and then now you got to go do some penance? And what I mean by that is there's different forms. So maybe the stay away penance, so you blow it on Monday in something that you, you've known, maybe it's a pattern that you struggle with for a while, and now what do you do? You need to give some time. I know God's mad at me. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Very, very commonly, if you're working with high school or college students, that, that three or four days turns into like three months, you know, and you, you may have experienced that where you're like, you're never, you're, you're not going to church, you're, you're not, you don't want to listen to any worship songs, you're not reading the Bible, you're not having any devotional times at all, and that, that three or four days turns into two months. And how many people have fallen completely out of the faith in that two-month time period? Because the lie of, you need to do some penance, distance from God. So stay away penance. Also, clean it all up penance. Some of you people may be the type that, you know, like when, when you mess up something, I've got to dive back in and it's in the same way that if you made a mess in the house, we've got to clean it all up immediately. Now you're going to 
really prove to God how much you feel sorry. So I'm going to do all this stuff and do all this work. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to do things to make it up to God. You can't. That's propitiation. You can't do the work of propitiation. So sometimes we get busy and we, we start doing these things. Um, I'm going to do longer quiet time. I'm going to, do, I'm going to listen to more worship. I, I, I've been listening to that secular music. And every time, God, do you realize I'm, I'm playing worship music now? Like I've had friends. I've had missionaries who, who said, my 200 secular CDs, I'm throwing them in a can and we're burning them. We're just burning them because, man, that's just dangerous. So I'm going to do, I had this sinful day and now I'm going to do these things. That's clean it all up penance. Maybe it's extra quiet time penance. Maybe it's uh, you kind of view it as detention with God. That, that's a good thought, right? So like now you're going like, to go and sit in detention with God because he's mad at you. He's the angry teacher. That, that's penance. Maybe it's the, the guilty give penance. Um, some people are like, oh, man, you know what? I, I, we, I really blew it. You know, I'm going to write an extra check. Here's an extra thousand to the church. God, did you see that? Here's an extra 500. Here's an extra 200. It's a, it's a guilty give. And it says, hey, Jesus, your propitiation was okay, but I've got to help out here to get acceptance from God. Maybe it's the uh, make it all up to God penance. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to serve with kids. I'm going to serve in the nursery and make it up to God. I'll do that for six months, and maybe he'll forgive the sin that I got into. And so penance also does away with the weight of the resurrection. It's a misunderstanding of that. First John 4 tells us that. First um, John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, that can't mean universalism, right? And so that's saying that he's the propitiation for our sins as believers, as John's writing this letter to those people, but then also for the whole world, meaning that people from every nation and tribe, and language, and ethnicity, that the gospel doesn't stop on any of those barriers, that it goes for all those. And so anyone who cries out for that mercy, their, their sins are atoned for and forgiven. So we need to think through that. Um, and then First John, or I'm sorry, just John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what, what Jesus means there, no one can come to God the Father except through him, meaning his pleasing sacrificed. Um, that God's vengeance and wrath against sins of those who receive salvation, that's only through him. Um, the next generation. So for your kids, just know um, what, what everyone's writing right now is in the same way that they have um, some um, concerns about absolutes and things like that. Um, some of the younger millennials do also. But then this, the next generation is coming up. Um, they're struggling with the idea that God would actually send anyone to an eternal hell. So that, that's just a reality that you're going to have to kind of disciple your kids in. Um, the fluidity that they, they like to think in um, can lead to um, universalism. So be aware, parents, that that's, that's, you're going to be raising them in a culture that says, well, if God's really loving, how could he do that? It's not popular. That's not the first time. This has happened many, many times through the history of the church. But we have to help them think through that. And we have to help them understand propitiation. And that, that, that's what, why Jesus suffered. He took that wrath. Um, so think through those beautiful truths. Again, this is the central elements of what we call the gospel. And if I were to ask you, I hope that we become a church that if people um, come and, and if, you're, if you're talking to friends, this is a great thing to just to have conversations with people about. So um, you're having conversations and maybe you think they're not believers or that they're going through a rough time or whatever. 
just a great thing to ask sometimes. And what I'd love for us to be grounded on is just that answer to that question. So what is the gospel? So you can do this real easily. I've done it with lots of different people on all kinds of spectrums. Like, hey, if I were to talk to you about um, something, I've been thinking through this and looking at some different things. Hey, if I were to say the word, the gospel, it's like, what do you think that means? And again, so what do people say? Uh, I don't know. God loves us. You know, God is good to us. Well, I mean, that should be shocking. So that's not the gospel. So think through, what are those central elements? It's not God loves you. It's not Jesus came to give me a better life. It's not God has a wonderful plan for my life. It's not God wants to use you to do great works for him. Those are all potential ripple effects, but no guarantees in all those. Your, your life may become much, much, much worse and much, much more difficult and painful in following Christ, um, especially if you're in a country outside of ours. But if you were asked, what is the gospel? We have to have a focal point of, of what Christ has accomplished, that, that finished work. So we know the bad news that we are filled with sin, even with good intention, good moral people. Our hearts and attitudes and thoughts and um, our desires are all going back to this um, core heart that even if you, you could have a quiet time, be in the Word praying, and then an hour later struggling with something, right? And so you just go, where's the Spirit in that? How's the Spirit in me? How is Jesus in me since I asked Him into my heart, even though He didn't ask for me to do that? And so I, Jesus is in me, the Spirit's in me. Um, how is that working out? Like, I just went and did this thing. And so the resurrection helps us to understand God's proof that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Um, and your hope of resurrection after death is secured. And so if you've had lost ones, you've had loved ones, um, you've seen painful situations in death, the reality not only for you but also for them. And that's why we should care about the people around us to try to get them to see that they're, they're missing out on Christ himself. So if Christ is resurrected, he is alive, he ascended to heaven, and he's reigning in power and authority. So Jesus' commission is with supernatural authority. So we think through this last words that Jesus has, and as he's about to lift off, which he knew was about to happen, um, in Acts chapter 1 and in Matthew 28, um, it's this, this scenery of Jesus saying, here are my last parting words to you guys. And so very important words. Um, the, it says real clearly here in, um, let's read that 16 through 20, um, now to the eleven disciples, uh, they went to Galilee, to the mountain. Sorry, is that right? Yeah, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus told them, "Let's go and let's meet up on that mountain." And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Think through that. They saw his hands and feet. He showed them the scars. He had been around them for like 40 days. They had eaten meals with him. He would just show up, kind of transport into rooms sometimes, and they're like, "How did he get here?" Still, they doubted. Now, this is the, the, the disciples. So notice the grace of this guy that even though we have times of doubt, even the guys who saw him, that knew and recognized this was Jesus, and it was the same Jesus in his teaching, the same Jesus in his grace-orientedness, the same truths from Jesus, and they still doubted, some of them. And God still used them. So Thomas, the famous doubter, God sent him to India later on. And so some of the, the, the biggest movements in, in those early church days were through a doubter, one who struggled with that. And so if you're one of those people who struggle with doubt sometimes, know that God has grace for that. You're not a failure in, in his mind. He, he, he understands what's going on, and he can give you grace for that. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, so pause and remember this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts chapter 1 says that at that point, Jesus just lifted up into the clouds. So some crazy, crazy stuff. Now, if, if you're like me, you're probably like, hey, I'd, I'd love a little more details. Like, you're, you kind of just left us here now. I'd, can you tell me what that's going to be like? You know, and that may be why some of the people were kind of doubting. Like, I'm really fearful and doubting. Like, how are we going to handle this? Um, what's that going to look like, like for us to live that out? But Jesus says he has all authority. And what he wanted them to remember was, all that you've seen me do and all the powers you see, and now that if you believe in the power of the resurrection, then I can change those people. As you go into those villages and towns, I can change their hearts to where you tell the truth of this story and trust me to give them faith and understanding of that story. And we're here today because of that, because of his plan. Um, think from the disciples' perspective. Um, we would probably be going, you know, hey, we need a little bit more clarity. We need a little bit more plan. So you, you said to you know, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But what does that look like? What do we do? So for all of us, we know what happened in Acts chapter 2, right? They didn't know. He didn't say, I want you to gather in the th- these, the, these places and then read from the Old Testament or start. some of you are going to start writing stories about the facts that happened. They, they didn't even know. You talk about faith. And then also in Jerusalem, just a few days earlier, 40 days earlier, that's where you were killed. And you want us to stay and wait in Jerusalem and, and start telling people about the message? And then, and hey, good news, the end of our message is, well, yeah, he's not here anymore. He, he flew up into heaven. So can you imagine just like people like, well, go get Jesus and tell us again. Let us see his hands. Like, he, he's gone. He flew up into heaven. But good news, the Holy Spirit's here. You know, like th- that would be tough, right? And yet that's part of our faith. And we take some of those elements for, for granted so easily. Think through from the angel's perspective. Um, they've watched these bumbling disciples just over and over and over. And, you know, they're probably like, are you kidding me? Because remember, they're not omniscient. They're, they're not like God knowing what the next step is. So they saw what happened on that, that Friday in the crucifixion. And, I mean, just you talk about a lowness probably and like, oh, my gosh. And then three days later, he resurrects. And they're probably celebrating in heaven. And then you know, he's around the earth for a few days. And he's like, hey, I'm leaving. They didn't know that part was coming either. Can you imagine, like, those guys just took off fishing a few hours after he died. They'd seen all the things. He said, hey, guys, knock, knock. It's it's the 40th time I've told you they're going to come and get me, and they're going to take me away and crucify me and kill me, and then I'm going to raise three days later. And, like, would somebody pass the bread? And so that they just don't get it and don't get it. And then after he he dies on the cross, what do they do? I'm just going fishing. They just leave, Remember? So all those things, even the resurrection. He dies on the cross. He resurrects, and and, and what does Peter and and John do? They go to the tomb, and they go home sad. So angels have to be going like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, these guys are weak. You know, this is JV team uh, complete. And so um, when you think through um, 
the resurrection, him being alive. So the beauty of that, God's plan was, the best thing for you guys is for me to leave. That doesn't make sense, right? It'd be a lot easier if we knew that um, once, once a year, Jesus gets to kind of fly into Tulsa, and we could be like telling our friends and neighbors, like, hey, he's coming, he's coming again, and so some of you guys are lost, and he's coming in, and you're, you're going to be able to see him. He's going to do some miracles and call down some things from heaven. And so that, that seems like that would have been the best plan, right? But in Jesus being absent, because he is in the body, so he has a physical body, the spirit can be all places at that all, all times. And so in that, he's able to um, administer gifts to the body in all types of places and be with us in spirit. And so Jesus was a beautiful, has a beautiful plan there. It doesn't seem like, in our thinking, that that would be the, the greatest thing. Um, so in that... The Father sends the Son. He lives his life. He teaches us truth. He examples for us all those things. But the, the, the central work is his death on the cross, that propitiation for sins, wrath absorbed, the resurrection from the dead, and then his ascension, and then his coming back. And so um, what, we, what we see a lot of times in the American church is we have this, this tendency to think that we're okay with God because I had an experience back years ago. And so a lot of people in the American church, the great majority of what we would say is the American church is speculating on God. So we're speculating on what God is like. And that's a danger instead of going like, no, I need to be in a local body to where I am hearing regularly because Jesus said, go and make disciples. So um, teaching them to observe, obey what I've commanded you. And so we kind of have this quick trip version or this menu version where I'll take that part, I want the security of that, but I don't want any participation. And so that's a huge thing. And the, the pandemic revealed that. I think it was just a reveal. It was already there. It was just a revealer of that. Um, the implications of the Great Commission, um, I have these uh, questions. First of all, are, are you obedient to Jesus' command of making disciples? It's a command. So therefore, as you're living your life, make disciples. How many of us really have never been in a church that really even talked about making disciples and what that meant? The idea is come sit, listen, and then serve in kids' church or serve on the, you know, the, the uh, whatever team that's in the kitchen or something. So that's it, making disciples. And, and Jesus says, all authority is given to me. I'm telling you, my, my, my leaving, departing words is your life is supposed to be about me. Go and make disciples. Trust that that works. I have authority to change people's minds and hearts. I know it seems like that guy right now is a CEO killing it and living for all this stuff. And it would be awkward and weird for you to insist or to suggest that maybe he should live for something. I have all authority. I know what that guy's walked through. I know what that woman has walked through. I know this person that seems like that they've got everything in life just all lined out and it would be weird for me to bring. I have all authority. And then we said the back end of the book end, the first book end is I have all authority. Behold, I'm with you the whole time. And so the, the remainder of this, the reminder of this right here, of where we're at in this part of, of a church plan, in this area, you have to believe God was going before us. It's not us coming up with good ideas like um, trying to do these events and, and that God's, now we, we rub some sticks together and just hope that he comes. He has more love for every single soul out there um, than we could imagine, people we've never even met. And so you have to believe that God is always kind of going before us and doing things. Now, we think we want a week's time and to see change and to see a whole movement come about. And he's going, man, it, it's time. It's time. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be ready to make disciples. Those people come into your life. And so 
have you been obedient to making disciples? And I don't want to um, do that when we were with college students. It was real easy to um, make that look like this one specific thing that it has to look like, you know, every Monday uh, I meet with this person, we meet for two hours, we open up the Word, we go through the study together, we ask each other these questions, we pray, we confess our sins together, and then that's it. So that, that, that's, that's a great way of doing that. It may be four years of you just being a really good neighbor. God's always working ahead of you. And boom, something happens, and all of a sudden you try to do these awkward little statements, and, and then all of a sudden now an event happens, and God uses that, and they're in a desperate place, and they're in need, and they, they know that you're a person that is trusted, that you could come to. Some of you guys are just walking with people. The one thing, strength that I would say that we have been loving to people who would continue to slap us in the face. And try to have all kinds of justifications why the church stinks and it's stupid and, and you're judgmental. And just repeatedly and repeatedly, you people, not, not me, you people have loved them and invited them in and welcomed them and got slapped and continued to love them and cry with them and listen to their story and got slapped. And so that, that's a reputation. That takes time. That's faithfulness. You've walked with people when it seems like, you know, they didn't, like a month later, like, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus, and I'm giving up all I own, I'm going to be a missionary in Afghanistan. Like, that, that's not real typical, right? And so, but, but lovingly and faithfully, um, being a faithful gospel presence, that, I think that's the thing that we've kind of grown into. Now, you don't measure it by um, how many people are, is this happening and, and looking exactly like this, but you've been really, really strong at some of those things. So are you obedient to Jesus' command um, of making disciples? For some people, even this one, um, I've, we've been in churches where um, staff wives even, or different places where adults are in the 30s and 40s, they're like, oh man, I, got, I was baptized. We, I grew up in Presbyterian, so I was sprinkled. And I got in a youth group, like a Baptist youth group or assembly. I've never been baptized, and now I'm 40, and I'm a staff wife. Like, that's embarrassing. Like, for me to go get baptized, it looks like I just got saved after being in ministry for like, you know, 15 years. And so, baptism, have you been baptized? Um, also, ex obedient to Jesus' expectation, consistently hearing the teaching of Jesus and observing the, all that he's commanded. How can I know his commands if I'm not under that teaching and, and part of being discipled and stuff? So his grace in saving you is also a call on living under his design, the church. It's a surrender to his authority. He saved you from sin. He saved you from God's wrath. He saved you also into something. Not just saving you from yourself and from hell, but he saved you into a body of believers. Um, it's a call to be a part of that. Um, so, so some beautiful pictures. Uh, again, the, the concern for the, the, the American church and where we're at now, um, it's su he is such an option. Um, I think that the great majority, when I talk to people and they're not involved with churches, what, what kind of comes out sometimes is, well, you know, I think at the end, if I were to die, I'm going to just sit down and have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. Like, like, do you see what's happened here? We have created God, not in his incredible, huge, luminous, powerful, like every Old Testament person, when they got close to that, dropped down fear for like, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. And even like good saints, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, like everyone just like, is like, oh, 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 I'm just an angel even. It's not even God. I'm just an angel. I'm a messenger, and you're crying and making a little puddle around yourself. And so uh, I'm just an angel. And so, but, but here we as Americans think, well, I'm going to sit down have a little talk with God face to face. Here's what I think. You know, like, like, like God's like, yes, sir, you bet. I probably have some explaining to do. And so that's the view of a lot of people. 
that they have to sit down and have this face-to-face thing, and God, they're going to be able to lay out some excuses, and God's going to be, man, you make a really good point there. That's completely erroneous. That is not the view of the Bible, and we'll see that in just a second. But all these levels of disobedience that people walk in, yet being deceived, pridefully thinking that they understand the Bible or they understand things about God, but he's completely okay with just all my levels of disobedience. And so um, just crazy thoughts, and that, that's scary. Since Jesus, as a result, uh, since Jesus resurrected and ascended, he is coming back for his bride. So in the book of Acts, chapter 1 there, he says, you're going to receive power, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and then when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and he was taken out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So you've got some angels, and they said, men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you, he's going to come again in the same way that he went into heaven. And so um, we, we just don't have that understanding. That's a crazy thing. We, 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 we haven't experienced some of the things of Acts, so we, we don't know what that would look like. But are you one of his people? Are you part of his bride, his church? And the second thing is, since he died, we know that that's true. Another result since all of these things that we lined up from last week's Passion Week through this week, all these things that are true, since he died in our place, he took the wrath for our sins, he purchased our forgiveness, our right standing with God, our imputed righteousness with his blood. He was resurrected, he's risen, he's alive, he's reigning in authority, he sent the Spirit, all of that, he is going to receive eternal worship. So the famous statement by Piper that you know, evangelism and missions And church planting exists because right now there's people that need to be worshiping that aren't worshiping. Evangelism and discipleship exist because worship is not existing for some people. And so um, that that picture in Revelation 5, this is all about Christ. Um, The resurrection screams that he's going to be worthy of worship. In verses 1 in Revelation 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. Um, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and to read um, and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. And I began to weep loudly. Remember our one-to-one with God? Remember our, I'm just going to sit down and have a conversation. Here's John, and he's weeping. He does this several times. Uh, He he cries and falls down several times in the book of Revelation. So um, when you see this powerful thing, get a vision like this, and get to see some of those things, um, it's not a posture of, I'm going to stand face-to-face with God, and he's going to answer some questions for me. But yet, many people around us, that's what they believe they're going to get to do. And John's weeping, drops to the ground a few times, and he says, "Um, I began to weep loudly because no one was found. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So what does that look like? What does that look like to see this lamb standing as though it had been slain? And he, had, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him. He had seven eyes and seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God. 
And, he's, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the question is not, as an American, so God, what are you doing? What's your will for my life? What's your will for my life, God? What about this? The question is, how does my life fit into what we just read there? Is my life being a part of God's will? His revealed will is a people ransom from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. Is my life fitting in with his will there? Is my life aligning and having time for that? Have you been ransomed for God by the blood of Christ? Is there ongoing worship? Is there ongoing growth in Christ's likeness and obedience? Are you thankful that he died and resurrected? Are you thankful that he's coming again? Are you thankful he's coming soon? And it's a call for us to consider, am I living out this life of, of, of true, just sitting amazed at him, getting ourselves into God's word, letting the spirit do that work of giving us repentance and confession? And then to move forward to renewal, to be able to move forward to those steps of growth and and sanctification that leads to more resting in him and leads to more rejoicing in worship. And so um, maybe for you, the resurrection story was, you know, thinking through um, just the the little bitty bullet points or thinking through um, the stories that you heard when you were smaller. And yet there are these incredible um, foundational truths and realities that should garner and, and bring substance to our faith when, when we are going through incredibly difficult, incredibly painful times, as well of times of incredible rejoicing, just to look and rejoice at what Christ has done in the resurrection. So as we close, Brad's going to come and we're going to do um, a song and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. I'll pray. I hope that um, we can walk away with substance in our hearts and minds, whether that's you clinging to the reality of the propitiation for Christ, God's stamp of approval of the resurrection versus you doing some forms of penance, some forms of keeping better lists to try to win back your faith for God. So Father, we come and we ask for you to give us the kind of rest, the kind of hope, the kind of trust that we have. Father, would you allow us to truly be renewed, to truly be rejoicing in the work that Christ accomplished in the resurrection. The resurrection has no meaning if if we don't know that that's the good news versus the bad news. That you did become our propitiation for sins. That Christ did sacrifice his life. That he was dead, fully dead. That he became fully alive again. And so we celebrate that and we would pray with John in Revelation, Lord Jesus, would you come soon? Would you come back soon? We thank you for those truths, and we pray that you'd completely um, give us a, a, a new appreciation for that, a growing appreciation. In your name we pray. Amen.